Welcome to the podcast. I'm Candice Boddington, your host, an energy dealer and nutritional navigator in Cape Town, South Africa, and founder of The Bod Brand. In 2017, I made the commitment to live a holistic lifestyle to heal my anxiety, gut health, and hormonal imbalance. I truly hope that the space adds the value you seek and will give you the starting blocks to heal too. All you need to do to get started is subscribe and you can leave the rest in our hands. We're looking forward to sharing this time together. Thank you for listening. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today in studio we have Dana Ali. Almost Aloy. Oh, Aloy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't pronounce her surname because I say it in a South African accent and I just give it, I just butcher it. Anyway, welcome to <laughs> the podcast. Thank you so much. It's amazing that we're connected, actually. It was such a lastminute.com um, plan, but I'm so grateful for you being here today. So do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. I have been an avid follower of everything you're about for years and years, so I'm super excited to be here today. Um, I am a reproductive health educator, so my passion is sharing the menstrual cycle and hormonal health and just everything about the female body with modern women who are trying to understand their bodies better. Um, so my background is that I work as a writer within the women's health industry and I conduct research at the University College of London's Institute for Women's Health, um, as well as I'm now doing some speaking events and run an account on the gram and all sorts of fun things like that as well. Love that. On the gram. <laughs> okay. So I think what would be great to start is how you found yourself in this space now. So being so interested in and invested actually in women's health yeah absolutely so this was something that came to me um, in my early 20s when I was in my teens I was on birth control I didn't think about my period at all none of this was relevant to me and then midway through my college years or varsity I guess um, I ended up having a bunch of health problems that nobody could figure out um, in the States. We coined this being a medical mystery where I was bouncing from doctor to doctor and I had absolutely no idea what was wrong with me, but I was having debilitating pain and I, I really couldn't get through my days without, you know, this constant pain. And through dealing with the medical system, you know, you have two sides of things. We're like, gosh, why is this not working for me? How is the system that's supposed to make me healthy not making me healthy? And then you also turn inwards, right? You blame yourself and you're like, what's wrong with me? Maybe it's all in my head. Like it has to be something with me, right? Because if they can't figure it out, they're supposed to figure it out. It's gotta be my problem. And through dealing with that, I just thought, you know what? No, like there, this is where this ends. I'm going to sort this out and just started doing as much research as I could into what my symptoms were and what was happening. And four years later, I got better. And through that, um, a silver lining was that I really gained this appreciation for the way that my body worked. And, you know, in, in this process, the main thing was just get healthy, get healthy, get to a place where you can be like a normal 23-year-old and have the life that you wanted. But coming out of it and on the other side, I realized that I was actually in an advantage place for my peers, not just from handling this adversity, but because I was now going through life feeling like I was in touch with my body in this way that none of my friends were and that I understood how my body worked at a pretty basic level just in terms of 
my menstrual function and how it affected my general health and realized that this is something that's missing for so many women. Like we're just kept in the dark about this issue all the time. And um, so wanted to essentially be a voice and an advocate for changing that so that more people can feel more confident and feel like they're in control of their bodies and then empowered to make decisions in their life and just interact with the world in this place of um, power and control over the way that their bodies work. And just knowledge, which is kind of how I fall into, I guess, my podcast and the content that I speak about on Instagram by sharing my journey of also coming off the pill after being on it for 10 years and realizing that it had actually masked uh, masked a thyroid um, condition, uh, a huge imbalance in my own personal hormones and figuring out that journey myself, it's now two years down the line and I still don't have the answers, but I feel like that's what I want, not just this podcast, but just in general, allowing women a space to just maybe have the the right questions you know to ask not just themselves but maybe their doctors maybe whatever specialists they're working with so the process is a little quicker for them and maybe not so tiring because it is tiring when you don't have the right questions the right answers or any kind of general direction as to like what potentially could be imbalanced in your body so that's kind of our hope for today is to create conversation around and answer the questions that you guys asked on Instagram. So we've somewhat formulated a conversation today based on that. And um, before I start, I also just want to mention that if you do want to find like more of the basics of the mental cycle and like how it works, you can find Dana on at Dana dot alloy. Like alloy. (laughs) That's it. But today's conversation will be centered more around like cycle lens, PCOS, hormone imbalances, birth control, over-exercise, and more. So let's just dive in. Awesome. Yeah. Can't wait to get started. And again, I think it's so great that you just are sharing your personal story out in the open because the more that this is just transparent and stuff that we feel comfortable talking about, you can say period and you don't have to say up flow or something silly oh, like yeah, that. Yeah. You know, like so, I'm bleeding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm awesome and I'm doing all the things and yeah. you know, better than you could at that. And so um, it's just so important to be able yeah. to have those conversations. So Um, like you said, just really want to put everybody else in a position to feel comfortable asking these questions, having these conversations. And then when you're troubleshooting your own health issues, really knowing what to discuss when trying to, um, sort out your own, your own health. And before we start, like just on that point, the biggest tip that another, I can't remember who it was, but they basically said the best gift you can give yourself is give is giving yourself the knowledge that when you go to a doctor or a specialist that you're not being told what to do but you're actually having a conversation of what you want to do and by having the knowledge you then have that ability to have a conversation with your doctor and not just be told information and taking it as like that's the only option you have anyway okay so let's dive in let's start with cycle lens the basics and maybe a little bit of ovulation. <laughs> sure. Okay. So I'm just going to do a quick run through of the menstrual cycle, just like the bare bones things you should know. Um, so the menstrual cycle starts with day one being the start of your period. So the beginning of your cycle, the first few days are your period. And then in the middle of your cycle, you have this event, which is ovulation. And ovulation is actually the main event. This is 
when your egg essentially breaks free, travels down your fallopian tube and off into the distance to be fertilized, potentially. Um, and so your period and ovulation sort of mark the two different sides of your spectrum. They typically, of, of your menstrual cycle, they happen about 14 days apart um, on either end. And ovulation, one last thing to mention with that, you can only get pregnant for a few days around when you ovulate. So you have around five days around it or six days in total when you are fertile. So just to quickly myth bust that idea that you can get pregnant at any point in time during the month. If there are any women out there who still think that, I just need to be here for you and tell you that's not true. Um, so in between these two main events, you basically have two different phases. So the first is your follicular phase, so after your period until ovulation, or really during your period until ovulation, um, you're estrogen dominant in the follicular phase. And then the follicle that is left over after your egg bursts free becomes something called your CL, and that produces progesterone. So for the second half from ovulation back until when your period starts again, you have this progesterone dominant phase. Um, so quick recap, get your period, estrogen dominant, ovulate, progesterone dominant, your cycle starts again um, once that follicle or your corpus luteum disintegrates. So if anything sort of goes off along that process, you can have a longer period or a shorter period. So when you have periods that only come, you know, every eight weeks or every every few months, it's typically because you aren't ovulating, you're, you aren't getting to that place of having a full, full menstrual cycle. Um, and then at the same time, let's say if you didn't have enough progesterone, you may um, have a shorter cycle. So it's really, when it comes down to it, understanding your cycle length is a lot about understanding if your hormones are actually working and if so, how, and then whether or not you're ovulating. Because if you know that, you can sort of figure out the um, severity of the issue that you're dealing with and also figure out um, sort of where the problem may lay. Is it that you're not producing enough estrogen? Are you producing too much? Are you not producing enough progesterone and we can get into you know mm. some more of the specifics of that later um, but basically that's how to understand in general where your cycle is lying in terms of what's normal and then the normal range is 21 to 35 days um, being your normal menstrual cycle with a period being around like uh, four to six days yeah amazing so, cool okay cool done with the science done with the science <laughs> but more science yes <laughs> okay cool all right so we're gonna dive into the questions now focusing on what we've chosen to begin with and that is a loss of a period which sometimes is due to over exercising that was one of the questions we had so we can talk about potentially the cause of it and maybe how to go about rectifying that Sure. And maybe let's also touch on the importance of it as well. Because I think a lot of times you're like, I hate my period. Like, it's gone forever. Good riddance. And I literally have celebrations. Yeah. And then I'm sad because yeah. it's, it, it's not great for me because I'm still, you know, finding my balance. But yeah. it's quite painful for me right now at the moment. Anyway. Okay, let's go. But yeah. Okay, cool. So, um, yes, overexercise can definitely cause a loss of a period. Though it's not actually overexercise alone that, calls it, that causes it. It's um, something called an energy deficit. So it's the combination of how much you're eating compared to how much you exercise. And if you have enough energy to essentially sustain a period, because at the end of the day, what your, what your menstrual cycle is trying to prepare you for is pregnancy, right? Like as its biological function. 
So if you don't have enough energy because you're either not eating enough or you're working out too hard compared to how much you're eating, then your body says, okay, well, I couldn't carry a child right now. I need to sort of shave, shave things down and do only what's most necessary to keep my functions alive. And that's sort of like an additional function. And so you lose your period to focus on just maintaining your energy um, of what you have of it because you're in too big of a deficit. And so what people don't realize is that it's super easy to be in this space. Like there's a lot of women, you don't have to be a super athlete to lose your period due to exercise. You could just be someone that is just simply not getting enough calories. You're doing a bunch of hit classes and you're, you know, maybe in pursuit of this, um, ideal image that you have of how your body should look, but it's actually not what is considered to be a healthy woman because a healthy woman is one who's able to have that period. Um, and so the, and you know, if you don't have a period, it doesn't make you any less of a woman. It's just that that is an indicator that your body is giving you the sign that you are, you are healthy enough, um, to, to make life. Yeah. To make life, to, mm-hmm. to, um, follow through with the functions that your body should be capable of. So, um, yeah, essentially that's how it works. So with, it's called hypothalamic amenorrhea is the technical term for it. Big, scary term. It basically means that. Um, a part of your brain is responsible for the fact that you're not getting a period and it's part of your whole menstrual cycle and how that works. Um, but at the end of the day, it just means that you have to do something to, um, put that energy balance back. So it could be maybe incorporating some more low intensity exercise or more rest days into your routine, but it also could be just including more healthy calories Um, and upping your calorie intake, specifically your carb intake. Like, you know, I often find when I talk to women that, um, you know, low carb, low carb diets are still a thing, but particularly women, um, need to, again, be, be, have enough carbs in order to sustain this life and to create a period. And so that is really, um, vital in order to restoring your period is making sure that you're getting enough carbs. It doesn't mean go, you know, buy a dozen donuts, but that you can be eating complex carbs, um, you know, fruit during the second half of your cycle, just, um, nutrient dense foods, but particularly carbs can help you to push that back. Um, particularly if you don't want to sacrifice your exercise routine, which is a question that we did have. Um, there was one regarding, um, an athlete who trains obviously quite intensely and she has had her period run away and um, that would then be the answer to that question I think as well is that if you are not in a position to compromise the training that you're doing based on maybe your profession then it would be more about creating the energy balance from a food perspective more than taking down the exercise yeah so it it really is just a balance of both and I love that there's now a bunch of elite athletes who are coming forward and saying you know I won this ultra marathon without ever losing my period I am this top runner this top gymnast and I've maintained my period throughout because it's a sign that you are in a healthy state and you are still capable it doesn't make you any less capable of succeeding in sport i love that yeah that's actually really cool yeah nice um i'll try to find some examples of particular athletes um and there's a great chat about some elite athletes talking about their periods um that i'll send to you as well but 
basically um, you should be able to maintain this and it's just a matter of understanding what your body needs and when and making sure you're listening to your body right if you're exhausted it's likely best for you to take that rest day and then to hit it the next day and you know really depends on, on what your training program is but this is all about just listening to what your body needs rather than you know following any specific um, routine or agenda or, or way of thinking about this it's just being more in touch with yourself Amazing. Cool. All right. Let's jump into the most frequently asked, oh, that's terrible English, the frequently asked question and topic, and that's PCOS. I feel like I need to drop a mic as I say oh. that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I personally have been doing a little bit of research as well, um, just because my symptoms are so much on, like, I feel like I've got two sides of one coin, like Hashimoto's and PCOS. The symptoms can sometimes like intertwine. Not that that's relevant to what we're going to chat about now, but that's my interest in this topic. So let's just start off with what it is. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so PCOS is essentially a, a syndrome where you have too high of your male um, hormones, your androgens like testosterone, compared to what you need for having a normal healthy cycle. Um, and so it's essentially like the syndrome basically means that you have an issue and it has to do with testosterone. It's sort of like irritable bowel syndrome saying, oh, you have IBS. Okay. So you have an issue with your digestion, but why? What? Like, what is <laughs> yeah. it? Like, what is, there's, there's no answer. It's basically a label for saying like your problem is called this, but it doesn't send you down any sort of like path to a solution in terms of understanding the mechanisms behind why it's happening to you. And without knowing why it's happening, it's really hard to know how to fix it. So it's really just a blanket term. And the way that you understand, the way that you diagnose it is because you either have high levels of androgens. Um, and so you can figure that out by blood tests or by different symptoms. Um, you then do not have a period and you have cysts in your ovaries. And the way that works is basically that system that I was telling you about where, you know, you menstruate and then you have these two weeks and then your egg sort of hatches, breaks free. Um, it's essentially with PCOS, like you have a plastic Easter egg filled with water instead. So rather than having like a normal egg where you like crack it and it's gone, you're like trying to crack it and it's plastic and it's just filled with fluid. And so you just have this fluid filled cyst, um, which is why they're called polycystic over ovarian syndrome because... Um, you essentially aren't being able to ovulate. The problem with this though, is the second two things, the idea of having not ovulating or having a period and then having cysts on your ovaries can be caused by a bunch of different things besides just testosterone. Yeah. And so, you know, when people get diagnosed, there's this, you know, there's a, a lot of people that will overdiagnose for PCOS and say like, oh, it's probably this. Um, but it doesn't really get to the root of like, okay, what do you do if it is that? And then also it's like, well, maybe you didn't ovulate because, you know, you're in that first camp where you're just talking about you have hypothalamic amenorrhea. And really, if you were just increasing your carbs or lowering your exercise, um, you'd be able to get your period back and that, or, you know, you had a cyst because you had one month of not ovulating because you were moving or there was some other stressful life event. So that's why when you diagnose it, you need to have at least 12 in order for it to be a true diagnosis. 12 what? Cysts. Oh, on wow. your ovaries, or you have to have had um, the other two symptoms where you have really high testosterone, or you know, higher testosterone than yeah. you should, and also have um, the lack of having a period or ovulation. So 
it's, it's hard because people underdiagnose it and that there's tons of people who are walking around with too little menstrual health knowledge to know that this might be something they're dealing with. But at the same time, it, I think it's something, it's the first thing that's chucked out when someone doesn't have a period or isn't ovulating instead of saying like, okay, let's get to the root cause of why this is happening. And, you know, we talked about that a little yeah. bit too, that you're sort of, yes, you're dealing with like, okay, if I have PCOS, what do I do? But then you're also like, is it like, is this really what's going on or, or where is or this is coming this from? Or is a sign of like yeah. my Hashimoto's or is the Hashimoto symptoms that I'm struggling with causing PCOS? Like it's literally, again, it's the same coin with two sides situation. Like I'm not too sure yet. So um, I luckily have a wonderful doctor and I have been asked about her countlessly. So her name is Alexia and she's based at Simone Silver's um, in Kluf. So just to put that out there, because I get asked it on the daily. Um, she does sound great. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we spoke about it earlier on. Um, okay, I lost my train of thought. Okay, so basically, that's what it is. So I'm just going to figure... I don't know what I was going to say. I literally <laughs> lost my train of thought. No it's stress. Fine. I threw so much information at you. At the end of the day, it's just like... It gets overdiagnosed. It gets underdiagnosed. Yes. It's really something around having these three symptoms, but it is at the end of the day a blanket term, like IBS, which I actually love that because it's so relatable. Like now, I, like if for someone who also got diagnosed with IBS, when really it was my anxiety that was offsetting like my digestive system, um, to to again like understand how much of an umbrella term it really was. Right, where it's like maybe you're you're having um you know stressful life events anxiety things with your diet and all of a sudden your testosterone gets up gets elevated but you really have to take it back a step mm -hmm. to what those things are and what what could be causing this or you know to complicate it even further like if you have issues with um, your thyroid or your gut or other health issues that could be the first cause of this and this is then like an after you know a secondary symptom that's yeah. stemming from something else so you know I'm not a medical professional I'm a researcher I just want to get the basics out there for everyone and um, it is important to just be able to be your own advocate and to find people that can run the right test for you and help you get to the root cause of this, this kind of stuff. Love it. Okay, so we got to ask, how does PCOS start? So we asked on PCOS. I don't know if we covered it. With what? How does PCOS start? So it can start from a variety of things. Um, one thing that I think I'm sort of... The, the major answer here is we don't know. There's a lot of different reasons. There's no true like clinical diagnosis. Again, it's just uh, you have these symptoms. It's not like you can trace it all the way back to one specific cause. Um, that being said, there are genetic links. So if you have a family history of PCOS, that's a way that um, you may be more likely to get it yourself. Um, there's also this chicken or egg relationship with high insulin. So because testosterone can be stored in your adipose tissue, um, that essentially means that if you have more fat, you will likely have more testosterone. Um, but at the same time, it could be the other way, right? Where because your high testosterone levels make it hard for you to lose weight, you're gaining weight because of the testosterone. It's not that the weight is making you gain testosterone. Yeah. So chicken or egg, nobody really knows yet which way it is going. Um, but one of the first things that you can do when you're dealing with PCOS is to try as hard as you can to get a handle on that, 
which is the most frustrating thing to hear, right? You're like, okay, my hair is thinning, I'm getting black hairs on my face, and now you're telling me that even though my metabolism is slowed and it's gonna be harder for me to lose weight, I have to, like, I feel you. This is something I personally deal with too, and it's just a headache and a half to have to have this burden. Um, but it is, you know, a, a good place to start because they are insulin sensitivity and PCOS are very closely linked. Cool. So as you mentioned with symptoms that you deal with, like on the reg as well, we had a lot of women bringing to my attention the hair growth side of PCOS and how they struggle to accept it to some degree. And I don't know if you have any like advice or even just like anything to chat about regarding the hair growth yeah so this is something that i get asked about all the time as well um unfortunately it is something that is not reversible so sort of once those hairs um grow and develop then they won't go away that you can deal with them with laser hair removal or um, electrolysis or things like that um, however you can stop future hairs from developing from curbing your testosterone levels and sort of getting your hormones back in balance. So you can't fix any hairs that have already grown, but you can sort of And how would you manage. do that? Um, so just through your typical ways of managing PCOS symptoms. So, um, you know, from a strictly symptomatic point of view, you could technically use birth control, um, though we can get into everything about how that's a Band-Aid as well. Um, and then also it's just more about like the natural ways to heal PCOS. So we don't have a lot of great information yet, right? There's not a pill you can take, um, but there are ways that you can change your diet and your stress levels and supplement so that you can, um, you can support yourself. And um, at this point in time, like I honestly would rather just give resources of people who, f who focus on this regularly in their whole life is um you know blood sweat and pcos and so i can I love that. <laughs> give blood you some give you some resources at the end but the the main thing that i just want to contribute to this um as someone who has personally dealt with this like i'm naturally the hairiest human alive um is that like this is this is real right this is something that you struggle with it's ridiculous that we live in a society where you're told that you cannot have a single hair anywhere except for on the top of your head but then we're also told that this is something that doesn't really count as a medical symptom and is belittled compared to other things that you could be dealing with and it's you know no one's to say what is causing you you know, stress and anxiety around your health journey, right? And mm. this is completely valid along with a host of other symptoms that you might be feeling. And so I think there's just something to be said for um, giving this a bit more importance and just, you know, being there for each other, being like, yeah, this is so real. And, um, you know, any sort of societal issues around this should be uplifted or you know lifted and also that we should take this seriously as something that you know is is an indicator that something's out of whack in our bodies and we should be taking you know can take steps to fix it and noticing that doesn't mean that you're harping on something small and insignificant but it's actually really you know worthwhile so with the question that they're asking about healing it naturally and you're saying you'd rather send resources would they be able to then just reach out to you so if you're a listener and you want more information on that 
to reach out to you on your Instagram platform and you will then guide them from there. Yes, definitely. Okay. So, so I just wanted to end it off there. Yeah. So we're not just like <laughs> abandoning the question. Because that it could be a whole other thing to exactly. say like how to go into it. And honestly, my personal opinion is that everyone's PCOS journey is so different. Yes. Because we have all, you know, if you take my story versus yours and where we stand, like it, it's stemming from different places. And, and as a syndrome in general, you don't know where it's stemming from. So a lot of times it's more helpful to speak with someone directly about your specific scenario and get individualized medicine and, um, you know, advice as it relates to you and your story, as opposed to just blanket, like everyone should be doing this thing. Exactly. So, um, I love that. I don't, I don't yet (laughs) do that myself. So I'd rather pass people along to, to those who could help. Perfect. With when it comes to like PCOS and the um, stories that we've shared ourselves, how do how does someone who is kind of aware that something's not right in their body know that they have a hormone imbalance? Like, are they are they warning signs to be like, okay, I should probably go get this checked. Something's not right. Yeah. So even just that feeling itself is a sign. Just right. that's why. Yes. But <laughs> so I think generally, like as women, we are so lucky that we have all of these signs that our bodies give. I mean, as humans, we have signs that we don't pay enough attention to. But as women, we have unique signs um, in terms of our reproductive health that tell us the overall health of our body. And, you know, that goes from saying, do you get a period? How painful is it? How long or how short is it? Do you have a cycle? How long or how short is that? Do you know if you're ovulating or not? So those are more like if you track your period, you can find these signs and then sort of see a pattern of, okay, well, you know, I am having a regular period, but when I have it, I have 10 days of debilitating pain beforehand. That's not normal. Or, um, you know, my period is fine, but when I actually pay attention, I am realizing now that I'm not ovulating ever. I'm just getting a period every 21 days, but no, I'm not ovulating and that could say something. So that's really, if you're getting into it with tracking, which I think every woman should. Um, But again, I realize that is at this point in time, the society we live in potentially asking a lot. So there are a few other signs that you can pay attention to. Um, So first would be your physical signs, like the common things we think of with um, PMS symptoms. So, you know, you're bloating, um, gut issues, cramps, anything that's like a physical symptom, headaches, migraines, migraines, um, <laughs> anything that uh, is a physical symptom to just be taking notes, whether it's in a period tracking app, a note in your phone, a journal, um, just being able to track those things emotionally where you're at. If you're realizing that you're super irritable or upset really easily at different parts in your cycle, all of this um, can happen regular and it can be typical and normal at a certain degree but if you're feeling this to an extreme um, degree that's something to also take note of Um, your sex drive is it there is it really there like with PCOS you can find that you have really high libido and then um, you know if you're not if you're in that hypothalamic amenorrhea state you might have no libido because um, you're not ovulating you're not getting that juicy estrogen that's surging things for you Um, so knowing where your sex drive stands and then even just like hair skin and nails like those are all things if you have strong um, nails that is a sign of estrogen if you are having you know acne towards your period like the few days before your period that could be a sign that your hormones are out of balance that 
Um, either you have too much estrogen or testosterone compared to your progesterone or just too little progesterone overall. Um, and so just paying attention to those basic things of, of how our bodies are working can then give us clues as to what's up. And so that's what I'm trying to do on my account is to say, you don't need to be a doctor to understand that if you're having jawline acne, this is what it means. And so yeah. just, to, mean, just to pay attention. Simple. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you're going to find all the answers that way. But then when someone says, no, you know, the, the symptoms don't fit, you can say, well, actually, like, this is what I've noticed. And let's have a conversation about that. Exactly. It's that like informed consent going in and just being like, I have questions. I've done a little bit of research. Let's have a conversation. You spoke briefly about like knowing when there's an imbalance. And I think what a lot of women struggle with are maybe things like endometriosis, um, PCOS, like we've just covered going into endometriosis and those symptoms. I just feel like it's worth a little bit of airtime to maybe discuss in like something like endometriosis and maybe just those kind of hormonal imbalances and um, symptoms that people don't even know they're dealing with, how to kind of, I don't know, just create conversation around yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. I am so glad that we're holding space for sort of the bigger issues around the menstrual cycle because a lot of times I'm just explaining to people how it works. And these are really like the big three that I think we don't talk enough about and could help a lot of people in terms of alleviating issues that they might be going through and just not knowing they exist. So HA, as we said, over-exercising, under-eating, PCOS, we've gone through that in depth, and then endo is the last one. Um, so endometriosis is essentially a, an issue where you create tissue that's similar to endometrial tissue, so that's what you shed during your period, um, in places other than your endometrium. And what happens then is that it tries to shed during your period, but it has nowhere to go. Okay, I did not know that fact. <laughs> yeah. I just thought the wall got too thick and it was uh -huh. really painful when mm -mm. it shedded. So it goes other places. Within, like what other places? So it can, it can be within your reproductive tract, but it also can be in, you know, um, around your bladder, your bowels, like it, I mean, there's... Um, Is that why you bloat a bit more when you have something like endometriosis i can't really speak to that okay. but in general it's basically this idea that you create you basically have tissue like this and it doesn't have anywhere to go so it causes adhesions and scarring and other things that are quite common with this are super heavy periods super painful periods um and just pain in general and so i think we talk so little about our periods that there are some people, like I, Touchwood, have never, I've had easy periods my whole life. Like I have been getting laser hair removal for as long as I can remember, but my periods <laughs> themselves have been fine. And so it's like you have these, um, these differences and you know I've never experienced painful periods. So when I think of a period, I'm like, yeah, that's probably fine. But I you know, know other women who were just living with this where they couldn't go to work or to school for a day or two or three um, or we're just pushing through and are like, I'm fine. And this is when you just think of that compared to man flu, right? Like yeah. a guy gets a cold and he's like, I can't. And then, you know, <laughs> these women are just like bleeding through like multiple super pads in a day and are just pushing on through. And so it's just, I think this is something where endo is getting um, more and more discussed in terms of how important of a problem it is for us to um, tackle as a society, but also just for there to be more awareness where like, if you are listening to this and you are dealing with debilitating periods, 
please look into um, getting help and seeing whether or not it could be linked to endometriosis because you know the worst thing is just to have women who are living in the dark and thinking this is just what it means to be a woman and that you're supposed to be stuck in um, this place of disability when really that disability has a name and while it is a sort of like young illness that we don't know that much about it is something that you can seek help for or at least validate your experience of knowing what's happening to you um, so yeah that's endo I have to interject with one more question that I read about, and I don't know if you want to even speak about this. But, it's okay, I'll tell you. Um, it <laughs> it's, it's the depression that comes before PMS. It's called, it's like PDMS or something like that. I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's where the hormone levels drop so low that the, the I think it's, I could really be wrong here. I just briefly read over it. Um, there's just this manic depression that comes before someone's period a woman's period um and it's got a it's actually got a label let me just have a look quick pmdd yeah okay yeah so PM, yeah so i think do you have any have you researched anything like that on that before yeah so that's not something that i focus that much on yet as the more you get into this the more you're like I mean, all I do is read and you just have so many hours in the day, right? Yeah. So I think to, to give you a general understanding of um, sort of emotions and periods, uh, one of my favorite female comedians, a woman named Nikki Glaser in New York, has this great tweet um, that's like, you're just like, I hate my life. Like nothing's going how I want. Like everything sucks. I suck. One minute later, blood. And <laughs> it's just, it's so accurate, right? Where I think because we're in the dark about the way our menstrual cycles work and we just want to push them to the side and make them go away and disappear forever. Um, it's like they constantly surprise us and we're constantly taken aback by these symptoms of um, having changes to our mood or changes like that. But in reality, what this actually, like you can understand this with basic science. Essentially, estrogen is really important for your dopamine and serotonin production. And so when that's boosted, you um, feel great. And then when your estrogen declines, depending how quickly it declines, women can have different levels of feeling that really strongly, right? That your brain chemistry has just shifted and now you are like biochemically in a different emotional state. Yeah. And so it makes sense that something like this would come up. So for me, I call it the day 26 issue where like now that I track my cycles, I know like day 26, if I'm like, I want to break up with my boyfriend or like, I am so angry at my mom right now. It's just, I'm like, okay, it's day 26. Like <laughs> this is, this is something to just keep note of. And be aware um, of. And be aware of. And the thing is, is I don't even want to belittle it that much because I think, this is sort of going on a tangent, but I think there's also so much to be said for making space for that side of yourself, right? Yeah. So like, as a woman, you're always told to be on. Like, mm. you're like, hi, I'm here. You know, when people say like, why aren't you smiling? Or like, you know, well, put a yeah. smile on that. And it's like, you don't always have to be smiling. And that when you're in, you know, estrogen puts you in the state where you're, you are so happy and energized and then when you lose that, it's sort of a minute to sit in your progesterone dominant state and say, like, what am I feeling? Like, what's coming up for me now? It's like my shadow self almost. Yes. And so to, it's yin and yang. So to really sit in that yin side, that luteal phase, the second half, and just be like, what's coming up? But to have enough knowledge of the science of how this works to not sort of catastrophize from it 
to be yeah. like, okay, this is happening well, to me. Yeah. It's supposed to be happening to me. Let me listen to it to a degree, but not let it run my life. Like I'm running the show here and I'm taking all of these pieces with a grain of salt and putting the weight on them that I think it deserves. And so going back to your initial question, there are women that when their hormones are out of balance can feel this way more significantly. And so it's just a matter of, of sort of troubleshooting there. But, um, and that is something that I am not as well equipped to speak on yet, but, um, in yeah, general, I just, just, I just wanted to give it some airtime yeah. because I recently came across it from just a girl, Sarita that I follow on Instagram and I don't know. I just, I'd never heard of it. It wasn't even something that made me go like, Oh my gosh, what is that? I just had never heard of it. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, to a lot of women that's, that's going to make some sense. So what is yeah. the abbreviation? PMDD. Point? Yeah. Just look into it. If you feel like day 26 is super <laughs> real for you. Well, really? So the difference would be if it's like 10 days before. So it's okay, okay to have a bit of an emotional, like freak out in terms of just having changes to your hormones. It's if you're really sitting in that state for a long period of time, or you're having such a significant drop right after you ovulate, um, to just, you know, sort of everything we want in moderation and in range right so yeah. it, it's just if it's happening for too long or too severe amazing so a lot of these symptoms um when it comes to like waste and prescription not that it's good or bad it's just a discussion as always um women are given birth control so i thought we could talk about how birth control basically masks a lot of these symptoms yo yeah so a big <laughs> one i know um but i just yeah i feel like it's a super important one yeah, so there is a lot to be said about birth control. I think that there is a growing movement right now, um, which I think we both personally are a part of, of saying this has been my experience getting off of birth control and how I felt. At the same time, I want to call out the fact that we live in a world where not everyone has the agency and the freedom to be able to step away from hormonal contraception. And some people, um, based on their priorities, it is still a priority for them to be on birth control. Exactly. And so I'm not pro or against, I'm pro informed consent in choosing your method of contraception. That's the one. So, and that's um, why she is on the podcast today. So, um, so let's just start there. Um, however, with that informed consent, one thing to take note of is the fact that still we live in a world where there are often doctors who say, oh, you know, med school taught me that for this issue, you prescribe birth control. So, um, you know, acne, birth control, you have some mood swings, birth control, you, you know, have irregular periods, birth control, which is one of the worst ones. You know, if you're going through puberty still and you're period just hasn't regulated yet and you're put on this thing to regulate it but it just needed some time side note but basically that you know people are people are quick to prescribe birth control for a host of things that are not preventing pregnancy and that is worthwhile for a few causes such as endometriosis right if you are in debilitating pain and the science has not caught up for you to have other you know mechanisms for fixing this birth control could be a good option for you if you are disabled by aspects of your period but for you know i just had jawline acne um and so i was told that birth control would make it go away and i just now am contacted by so many women i mean i want to say over half of the people who answered your question said i'm now off the pill i have all these symptoms what do i do yeah it was and crazy actually it's it's crazy it's it's basically this new movement of you know our generation that was on birth control for 10 odd years or something and is now trying to get off of it and um your body goes whack and so you know 
it's important, like if you're gonna know one thing about birth control, just know that it is not doing anything to fix your problems. It is just stopping your symptoms temporarily through, synthet through synthetic hormones. So for example, if your priority is just that you want all of your hair growth to stop, like you are only concerned about your um, body hair, like you could jump on birth control and it would stop, but then the second you get off of it, you are going to have that problem again. It is truly a, ban a band-aid solution. And so just to know that when you're making decisions about what is most important to you um, is, is really important. Um, the one other thing about birth control that I just was so mad to learn um, <laughs> is that, you know, because I know a lot of your followers um, have PCOS, um, is that some versions of birth control are actually testosterone mimickers, so some suppressed testosterone. So if you were to choose to go on it, choose one of those, but that you could be going on birth control and you could be increasing your testosterone levels through which pill you choose or which option you is choose. Is there a certain pill that's known for raising that level? Um, so it's, there are so many different options so many. and some of them are, it's basically just how they're classed. Okay. Um, there's a great book actually called This Is Your Brain on Birth Control, which is, I feel like I'm just Sarah Hill's personal promoter, but <laughs> basically like this is the first book that I think just comes out and really spells out what it's doing to your quality of life as opposed to what it's doing to your fertility or the long-term effects, like how it is affecting you right now, age 22, girl at varsity versus the long-term. And so, um, if you are considering birth control or getting off birth control, I think she gives a very unbiased understanding of what is happening there. Um, so yeah, I would check out that book for more information. Amazing. All right. Uh, birth control masking <coughs> band-aid. Have we covered that? I think so. Cool. All right. Um, so moving from that, are there any good hormonal contraceptives? Well, non-hormonal contraceptives. Any good ones? Oh, no. Um, <laughs> I wish. Like we just we live in this world, and this is why I'm so hesitant to be anti-birth control, right? Because then you're just left being so sad because you're like, I just have like no good option. Have. It's yeah. they all suck, and <laughs> it's you know it's frustrating to just be like I you know. In my mind, you either are giving yourselves hormones every day to prevent something that only happens for a few days a month, or you are, you know, there's all of these other symptoms from doing other things, or you're not educated enough to do other, like, it's just really difficult. So hormonal contraceptives, contraceptives I think we've uh, hit that one home, but with non-hormonal contraception, um, you have the copper IUD, which essentially allows you to still naturally create hormones, though it is known to have to be very symptomatic. So if you hop on the copper IUD and you're feeling horrible, please get off of it. Yeah. Um, there's just, you know, I think, again, it's just going back to that theme of women who just tough it out and are sticking through something when really you don't have to be living your life that way. So it's a good option to try if you want something that's non-hormonal, um, but it also, you know, you can have effects from that as well. Um Otherwise, there's good old condoms, um, which That's I think get, life, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> understated. Um, and hopefully, some some good brands will be coming uh, to South Africa. They are, uh, yeah, there's point. yeah. Um, my friend Theo, um, I think her surname is Theo Lord Theo. Something. Oh my goodness, I can't. I'm so bad with surnames. Anyway, I'll link it in the context of this podcast in some way. She does a lot of um, content around really good condom brands, like yeah. ones that are from overseas, but you just order them in bulk and you keep them in your drawer for a rainy day. Yeah. 
That sounds great. But yeah, so there's some, I would say a good condom makes all the difference. Honestly, um, one brand that may be available to some of you is you is in the UK. It's called Hanks. Um, it's my favorite one that I found. But so condoms are obviously available to you. And then there's the FAM method. Um, and most people who are in my field of work are FAM educators. So they teach people how to um, basically take control of their fertility on their own through um, understanding their basal body temperature and their cervical mucus and different things where it's actually quite simple to be able to know whether or not you are ovulating. And so, you know, at this point in time, um, this comes up in society when people want to know when they're ovulating so that they can get pregnant. Um, and that is pretty basic education that you can get and happens when people finally want to have kids. Do you think that people resist that method because maybe they don't trust themselves enough? Yeah. So I think even more than that, it starts from having no relationship with your menstrual cycle. Okay. So like I also, like I used to skip, I mean, and you, you honestly don't need them like clinically. Um, my pill bleeds or your quote unquote period. It's not a period when I was on the pill. Um, because I just was like, I don't want it. Like it's I such an inconvenience. Well, yeah. It's such an inconvenience in my life. I hate my period. And when you're treating your body like that, how are you going to be like, okay, you like fuck boy that I hate. Mm. I'm now going to <laughs> trust myself and my relationship with you. Like, no, like you, you need to be in a place of um, like empowerment and feeling like you're connected to your body first. But second of all, then, you know, we also just don't learn that much. Like if you learn today, you know, there's going to be people who learn today what ovulation is or what the follicular phase is or the luteal phase is. Those aren't common words because you can't even say period out loud. So, <laughs> yeah. So when that is true, it's hard to say, yes, this entire society, women should be responsible for training up on their periods and, you know, on their cycles immediately and now being able to predict exactly when they ovulate. Like that's also not fair and a responsibility that shouldn't be put on anyone because we haven't been taught so yeah, I love that That's my very fair. <laughs> yeah so my thought with fam is if this is something that interests you like if this whole podcast has you hype and you're like I want to learn more about this pursue it um but if this is something where you're like I can't be bothered to take my temperature every morning like I just this isn't going to be it's probably not for you and yeah. so there's no sense in preaching it either it's really I think for those who want to put themselves in that position and more power to you if that's you yeah so ending off i think it's best suited to kind of help those post birth control birth control like what would be your recommendations if you are choosing to stop birth control yeah so if you're choosing to stop birth control my first thought would be to just be gentle with yourself um you know your body has just gone through a host of just a hard time for, for a long time in terms of taking synthetic hormones for so long and there's an adjustment period right of, of your cycle basically waking back up and getting regular so the first thing is to sort of understand that you have just put your menstrual cycle sort of through the ringer by suppressing it for a period of time and to be gracious with your body in terms of getting that back and then also not to beat yourself up too much as I know at least for me and from you know what I've seen from you is it's hard not to be frustrated as to be like oh my gosh all of this stuff is now happening to me and like why did nobody warn me ahead of time like when I just went on birth control for my acne like nobody said anything yeah. and it, you can really spiral out in that place and I think again just to you know be gentle with yourself and the 
you know, that it, it's not your fault. It's not something that you could have sought out that information. Like we're just not there yet as a culture. And so to just be able to process through those emotions too. Um, and then from there, I would say it's really just being your best advocate in terms of troubleshooting. So the next most important thing is to just have a pulse on your cycle. So, you know, your menstrual cycle is considered to be a vital sign right up there with your blood pressure and your heart rate. And so to just make sure that you're doing everything you can to be keeping track and you will be amazed to see that once you sort of have a pattern of symptoms that you can reflect on, how easy it is to then say, okay, cool, it looks like this is what's going on mm. and there are resources for that. So once you get to a place where you understand those symptoms, you can then you know go to the internet and to specialists and say, this is what's happening and get the answers that you need. And um, anything past that, I honestly think it's too individual. And anybody who's going to tell you that there are these like sweeping general things you can do, every body is different. Every menstrual cycle is different. There's a reason why you could get on one pill and I could get on one pill and it could make you crazy and me skinny. You know, yeah. like there's... <laughs> we, Perfectly put. Yeah, you don't, yeah, you don't know. And so I think it's really about making sure you're in, you're in control, you're in the right headspace and you are being proactive and seeking the answers that you need. And those people are out there. I'm here, you're here. There are, there are plenty of resources and um, can continue to, to be sharing those, hopefully, and just getting more educated women out there. Yeah. So I asked one last question, and it's the same every time at the end of the podcast. And that is, if you could tell your 16-year-old self one thing today, what would it be? I mean, the funny answer is like, put down the pill, <laughs> but like, um, <laughs> but that's just my personal thing. Um, I think I, I wish that I could tell my 16 year old self that it would all work out. And if you could just follow the things that interest you, everything else will follow suit. So I'm a big believer in um, people just focusing on what makes them, what they're passionate about, what makes them thrive. And from there, the answers come, the path forward comes. And, you know, at 16, even was already like, what's my career and my future going to look like? And um, yeah, I think that just when you do what you love, it does, you know, it moves you forward. Um, and it's really that passion and that heart that is what makes work special anyway. So. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you for this special <laughs> podcast. It was amazing meeting you. We've literally yeah. just met today. <laughs> this was such a great last minute yeah. thing. I'm so and glad. I just really hope that this was um, as beneficial for you as it was for me. Um, I think there's a lot of golden nuggets in here. And again, if you want to reach out to Dana, um, I'm going to pop all of her details within the text of this podcast. Um, yeah. So thanks for tuning in. We'll see you again next week. And have a beautiful, beautiful wherever you are. Bye. Hey everyone, thank you for listening to this podcast. I want to listen to you too. So if you have any questions or ideas of dream guests, I'm all ears. I'd love to hear from you. Stay tuned for the answers to your questions and to hear your dream guests on this podcast. Send your questions and requests to candice.buddington at gmail.com and I look forward to connecting with you on a much deeper level. Bye.